0: Your Story Matters, the series that we're in right now, and uh, you've heard Jeff and Jamie Gwen share. My son Benji kind of shared some thoughts to kind of kick it off a few weeks back, and then Dallas and Sandy shared last week. They did a phenomenal job. I was talking to Rick uh, Bloomquist, our student ministry uh, pastor, and I said, hey, I want, I want to get some young girls uh, sharing their story. So today, I'm really fired up. Madison Thorne, 20 years old, freshman in college, Taylor Bell. She's the baby of the bunch, she's only 15. And Alyssa Hughes, 15, 20 and 24 year old beautiful girls. And uh, you know, we were praying through this after listening to uh, Benji share a few weeks back and then Jeff and Jamie, and then Dallas and Sandy last week. And I was thinking about some of the, the impact that's happening within our student culture. Not only the, the transformation of life, but as well as how these girls serve. All of them are involved in uh, investing in the lives of others, and you'll hear some of their story here today, but I thought, what a cool opportunity to have three beautiful young ladies who are really seeking to honor Christ with their lives, share with you this morning, because your story matters. Take it away, Madison.
1: Okay. Good morning. Um, my name is Madison. Like Pastor Tim said, and I have been here at the cross with my family <clears throat> since January of this year. Um, I'm a sophomore in college, and I just want to share a little bit of what God's been teaching me in the last three years. So, I did grow up in a Christian household. Um, it was always a big goal of my parents to make sure that God is at the center of our household. Um, and I went to LCA from fifth grade to graduation and loved my time there. Um, one day in middle school, um, we were reading in First John, and I just happened to be reading in 1 John 4, and 4:19 really popped up um, off the page at me, and it says, "We love because he first loved us." And in middle school and high school, I was in a very comfortable environment um, And loving on other people was something that um, came a lot easier in that um, environment. And so once I graduated, um, leaving that comfort and leaving what I loved so much and really all I had known, um, even though I was living in my house still, um, commuting to school, I, I really didn't know um, what God's plan for me was there. Um, my friends left for school and they went away and I started to compare myself and my uh, the beginning of my college experiences to the beginning of theirs and they didn't look anything alike. And I kind of wallowed in it for a little bit and, and was upset and um, didn't really know why God had kept me in Loganville. <clears throat> um, and one of the very first things, you know, I kind of was like, okay, why God, like, why am I still here? What, what, what do you want me to do um, in this situation and going forward? What are you trying to teach me? And the first thing that he revealed to me was that just because your environment has changed, you know, you went from LCA to college, um, just because that environment has changed doesn't mean that I'm not, this, that I'm not your joy. Um, that's something that, um, you know, I'm your fulfillment, I'm your joy, I'm your full satisfaction, and you need to remember that. And that was something that um, has followed me, and um, one of the big things that he had taught me. And another, along with that, um, he taught me uh, to love on people. Um, Loving, being in that uh, college environment seeing things and, um, hearing things. And he, he really broke my heart for people. Um, seeing people that didn't know him and everyone, you know, I saw so many people that were running towards anything and everything that they could except for running to God. And they were trying to find satisfaction and fulfillment and it just wasn't coming. And it just broke my heart. Um, in that same time frame, first, uh, first semester of freshman year, I also got the opportunity to serve with youth kids at the church we were at prior to this one. And God used them and used the relationships I formed with them to bring him glory and to reveal so many more things to me. And that too just grew my heart for people. Um, and after that semester ended, um, we came here. And um, I was actually in contact with Barb, and she gave me, um, you know, she said, hey, there are brand new youth pastors here. Just let me know when you want to meet them, and we'll set it up. I know you love to serve with youth kids. So I did. I met Rick and Kara, and that, too, has just brought so much joy um, to me. And it's been such a blessing um, to have a group of people Um, who love one another and who want to serve God by serving other people. Um, That's just been such a blessing. And, you know, in middle school, when 1 John 4.19 came up to me, like I said, it was kind of easy to love on other people in that environment. And then God kind of brought that back to me. and was like, hey, you remember, um, like, it's one of our biggest commandments to love other people. And that's why you're in the environment that you're in. That's why you're where you are. Because if you had gone off or whatever, you wouldn't have had that opportunity. Um, So that's just a little bit.
2: (laughs) Hi, everybody. (laughs) Uh, My name is Taylor, and I'm 15 years old. And I'm just going to kind of start out when I became a believer about two years ago. One of the first walls that I hit as a believer was who I was in Christ and how Christ saw me as a person. And it was polar opposites from the way I saw myself. And that was what I struggled with for until recently. And something that God kind of showed to me is that it's easier to love yourself once you let God break down those walls that you have up around you. It's easier to love yourself when you look at yourself through God's eyes. And I hadn't realized until... God took me to another country to pray over a little girl that couldn't understand a word I was saying for me to realize how he saw me. He saw me as blameless. He sees me as perfect, and he sees you as royalty. There's a verse in Romans that says, when you've accepted the Holy Spirit into your soul and into your heart, that God sees you as co-heirs with Christ. How crazy is that? That God sees you as a co-heir with Christ. That's one of the craziest things I've ever heard, (laughs) and so a verse that God just kind of throws into every situation for me is John 1.5, and it says that the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness hasn't overcome it, and it never will. And how I kind of apply that is you have God's light, and it shines everywhere, even in the darkest places, in the darkest places of your life. And it shines, and darkness hasn't overcome it yet. So there's nothing you can do that can take God out of any situation. There's nothing you can do that, make, that can make God love you any less. There's nothing you can do that can stop God's light from shining in on every situation. So how that applies to me is that there's nothing I can do that can change God's view of me. Nothing I can do. Nothing I can do to change how much God loves me. Not not even when I hold up every single thing I've done wrong in front of his face. I dangle everything I've done in front of his face. Like, God, you don't remember when I did that. You don't remember when I said that. Don't you see me like this why don't you see me like this why don't you see me how I see myself and then God God just comes in he's like that's because I overshine all of that I just I fill all of that with my love and my mercy and my grace so that's kind of what God's revealed to me and I take it and run with it and wanted to share it with you guys thank you
3: My name is Alyssa, and I grew up in New York going to a church that, a church where the Bible was really important. Um, It was a place where they really focused on being true to the word of God. Um, In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, it says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So I grew up around people who had this focus on the truth of the Bible, and it laid a foundation in my walk with God that has kept me anchored through a lot of hard times over the years. There was a point, though, when I had to own my walk with God, I knew all the Bible stories. I knew what to do, what to not do. I grew up hearing all kinds of stories about missionaries who gave up everything to go and share Jesus with other people. They would go anywhere. They would even risk their lives to share Jesus with other people leaving behind homes, families, jobs, security. Didn't matter. Jesus was so important to them and so real to them, nothing else mattered. I didn't, I didn't understand. It didn't make sense to me why they would do this. What was it about their faith that was different than mine? We believed in the same God. I knew that. What was it that they had that I didn't? What made them risk their lives for Jesus? Because whatever I had wasn't worth that much. And I wanted that kind of faith so desperately, but I didn't know how to get it. So I just kept doing what I was doing, tried to be a good Christian, um, but I finally came to a point where I was like, God, I don't know what this is, but I don't want it anymore. You have to change something because this isn't good enough. There's a scripture in Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 12 that says Ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks, finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? All I had to do was ask. God wasn't holding out on me. I was asking the wrong question, though. I was asking, God, why, why can't I have a faith like theirs? Why don't I feel you like they do? I was asking to be like them when God was asking me to be with him. God knows me so well he knows that maybe the way he speaks to you I'm not going to receive it that way. But he knows me so well he's going to speak to me in a way that's so personal to who I am that I can't say it's anyone but God. It took some time and some creativity on God's part for me to learn that but that was when my faith started becoming real to me. That was when I owned my relationship with God. I knew who God was for myself, and no one else was going to tell me any different because I'd learned it for myself. God told me who he is. Growing up in church, I heard a lot of different preachers and speakers, and um, there's one quote in particular from a man named Tom Skinner that stuck out to me. And he said, I spent a long time trying to come to grips with my doubts when I had realized I better come to grips with what I believe. I have since moved from the agony of questions that I cannot answer to the reality of answers that I cannot escape. And it is a great relief to me. At the end of the day, no matter what has happened, no matter who I've talked to, no matter what good or bad has happened then day, one thing hasn't changed, and that's God. And because God hasn't changed, that means who I am because of him and to him hasn't changed either. My identity is still the same. And because of that, I can be Secure I can be at peace. I can be at home. No matter where I go Knowing that God is the same yesterday today and forever
0: Outstanding Give it up for these girls is that not good? So for Taylor Madison Alyssa, so a reporter was interviewing the oldest uh, woman in town He goes to her and says, what's the best thing about being 105 years old? She smiled and said, there's no peer pressure. (laughs) The truth is, as I thought about these girls sharing their stories today, peer pressure affects us all. You look at society, you look at the workplace, you look at schools, Business trips, locker rooms, peer pressure, fear pressure. The temptation to cave in surrounds each and every one of us. The word peer, it comes from the Latin word par, which means equal. I didn't know this when I was studying. I'm like, peer, that's an interesting word. Where does it come from? Par means equal. So when you hear the word Peer is talking about your friends, your associates, those that you would consider your equals. Who's subject to peer pressure? Who's going to get attacked? Who's going to get hit? It doesn't have a, chronolo- a chronological age attached to it. All of us will be enticed. All of us will be tempted. All of us will be encouraged to kind of cave into what the world has to offer. The devil uses peer pressure, if you will, to entice you. You go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, and Adam caved to peer pressure when Eve ate the forbidden fruit and handed to him. It was pressure. Abraham caved to pressure. Abraham told the people that this girl with me is not my wife. She's my sister because of the pressure. 1 Samuel chapter 8, the nation of Israel caved to peer pressure. When they looked at Samuel and said, we want to be like all the other nations. We want a man, a king, an earthly person to lead us. Samuel got heartbroken. He was He was crushed that the people were asking for a man to lead. And God said, give them what they want. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. They want man. They don't want me. And we find ourselves living in a generation, in a culture where people have abandoned God, rejected God, ignored God, dismissed God. We don't want him. We want to do our own thing. And so that's the culture that we find ourselves living in. We want to be like everybody else. We just kind of want to go with the flow like everybody else. And for so many of us in this room, listen to me, for so many of us in this room, we yielded to the peer pressure, the fear that people might not like us. And it's cost us greatly. Dealing with a family. Just in the last few weeks, and she's like, Tim, my coworker, 46 years old, married, family, business trip, hooks up with this 26-year-old secretary, leaves his wife and kids, blows it up. Yeah. Because of the pressures, maybe this young girl said, "I I need to do this because this is the boss. I'll go to bars, and I'll hang out in these areas where I shouldn't be. And you open up doors, and the enemy wants to pick you, apart. Here's some of the risk factors that make us susceptible to sin. And I want you to think about this even as we sit here in this room today. Uh, Low self-esteem. When you start to struggle with self-image and identity, you start to look around and you're like, uh, I need somebody to notice me. I need somebody to give me attention. I'm looking for somebody to give me affection or affirmation. When you've got low self-esteem and you're not believing what God believes about you, and you're starting to believe what the world says about you, you're more apt to give in to the enemy's lies. And I've seen so many people with low self-esteem, they're looking for a group to fit in, they're looking for just a community to hang out in, and before you know it, you can shipwreck it. A second one would be a lack of confidence. You've been beat down, and when it comes to really having confidence in God or confidence and your own abilities, and you sit there and you're like, I'm just not a confident person. And as soon as somebody starts to speak a little life your way, if you're not careful, you'll cave in. You'll cave in, and before you know it, you're again in the wrong place with the wrong people doing the wrong things, and you're going, why did I do that? I just needed somebody to like me, to notice me, to applaud me. Another one I find not only with our youth, but with adults is a lack of personal interest. You don't have anything else you're doing. So many guys, I've dealt with this repeatedly. Guys go to work. They've got their family, but they've checked out. They're not emotionally engaged. And that's where the enemy will come. And we're dealing with families even now where guys have wrecked it through porn, internet porn. Guys that have wrecked it through closet drinking through the pharmaceutical route of pills or maybe even smoking weed or whatever. And and, uh, so many have lost personal interests. I don't work out. I don't train. I won't go to a small group. And I'll blame that I just don't like that group of people. But it's because you don't have any personal interests going on in your life. You're not serious about Christ. You're not discipling anyone else. And you'll open the door. One of the things that I find with people is this feeling of isolation when it comes to family. Maybe you've been betrayed. Maybe you've been rejected. Maybe you jacked it up and caused all this heartache that's going on right now. But when people start to feel that they don't have family and they don't have community, oh, the enemy will come because he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And he's like a roaring lion. He just wants to pounce on somebody to pick him apart. And so you'll give in to this Peer pressure, your associates and friends, whichever way they're flowing, you kind of go with them if you're not careful. So many kids, they start to open the door when they are struggling with a lack of interest and self-image, and then they've got poor academics, and somebody notice me, somebody pay attention to me, somebody invite me to go do something, and you'll see lives start to be wrecked because they're trying to find identity apart from Christ. And you're not going to find it in the world. The world will carve you up. The world will eat your lunch. Satan wants to take each and every one of us out. And if I ask for a show of hands in this room right now, how many of y'all got taken out, got taken down? We were driving down the road the other day, and I was thinking about my buddy who shared. At the age of 13 it's when I started smoking weed. And I was thinking about this couple and what God is doing in their life, but Barb looked at me and she said, can you imagine our little Caleb at 13 smoking dope every day? And I'm like, that's the narrative of one of my good friends in this church and how God is restoring him and how God is changing his life. Fifteen years old, sexually active. And Barb looked and said, could you imagine little Hannah? And it broke my heart. But there's so many family structures that are so jacked up that so many young girls are starving for somebody to notice them, that once emotional attention is given, they will move to the sexual realm. It's time for us men to grow up, stand up, and fight for our families, because the pressure around our families today is great. I'm telling you, it is great, and it is extreme. So you would ask the question, uh, do you really think any of us are subject to screw it up, jack it up and mess it up? Yes, yes, yes. Every one of us. I love the message translation, 1 Corinthians 10, 12. But listen to what he says. We're all capable of messing it up. Don't be so naive and self-confident. You're not exempt. You could fall flat on your face as easily as anyone else. Forget about self-confidence. It's useless. Cultivate God confidence. I'm reading through this, Jeff, and I'm thinking, this is crazy. Out of the message, who's capable of jacking it up? Every one of us. I memorized 1 Corinthians 10, 13 years ago as a young believer, New American Standard, No temptation has taken you, but such is common to man. God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able to bear. But with every temptation, he'll make a way of escape so that you can endure whatever you're going through. But I'm like, look at verse 12. What does it say? Take heed. You're not above jacking it up. You could fall flat on your face today, and so could I, minus the grace of God. So as I think about where these beautiful young ladies are, I pray for them. I pray for my kids. I pray for this next generation because the world is coming at them, lying to them, trying to entice them. And God is saying, you've got to anchor deep. You've got to anchor deep. 1 Corinthians 15, says, don't be fooled. Bad company, pretty good group of my generation, but bad company corrupts good character. Bad company Who are you hanging out with? Where are you hanging out at? Again, write it down, write it down, write it down. But your playgrounds, playmates, and play toys must be evaluated every day. What are my playgrounds? What arenas? Where do I go? Who are my playmates? My associates? Who am I hanging out with? And then my play toys. What am I allowing to become an appetite of my flesh that I'm starting to give into repeatedly? You've got to fight the good fight daily. Paul encouraged Timothy with that. Timothy, I want you to fight the good fight every day. I want you to battle well. I want you to struggle well. I was pondering that thinking, yeah. My exhortation and encouragement to each and every one of you would be this. Fight every day the good fight. Fight from victory, not for victory. But as you do, remember, remember, your story matters. Your story matters to God. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. There's no accidents here in this room today. There's no mistakes. If somebody told you that, it's a lie from hell. God made you. God loves you. The redemptive work of Christ on the cross as he was crucified, buried, and raised on the third day. He's crazy about you. Even as little Taylor shared, her identity is anchored in Christ. Yes, that's where I'm finding my worth and identity. Even as a little 15-year-old sophomore, we're going to fight for her. We're going to fight with her. And we're going to stand strong with her. Madison, now listen, we're going to stand with y'all. But your story matters every day. No matter where you're at and who you're with. The second thought would be this. Your testimony matters. It takes a while to establish trust, equity, and relational equity. But you can blow it in a heartbeat. Your testimony matters. What you say, how you treat people, whether you're truthful or a liar, whether you follow through on what you say you're going to do, your testimony matters every day. It matters. Third thing would be this. Being useful to God matters. I want to stay useful for the king. I want to be a tool that he can, be, that he can use whenever. And so many people have taken themselves out of the game they violated things, and then they start to wallow in guilt and shame and misery, and God goes, being useful to me, stay useful. I, I, I want to be able to use you. I, I want your testimony to carry weight. I would say, you got to think through that. Here, here's another thought as I fight the fight. Expect your faith to be tested. Expect to be attacked. Expect people in this church who get in the flesh to attack you. They attack me. People that will talk about somebody else to me will talk about me to somebody else. I know your game. I was born at night, but not last night. I ain't that stupid. You will get attacked. Pull out on 81. Watch the people applaud you with their fingers, road race. You will be attacked. You will be attacked. People at work, people at school, peer pressure is not just a young person issue. You've got to expect, man, I'm I'm going to be attacked. But here's going to be the biggest struggle day in and day out is we talk about living surrendered. The biggest struggle as you fight the fight is, are you going to trust God to be enough, period? Am I going to trust God to be my strength, my sufficiency, my adequacy every day and I've got to anchor deep I mean Alyssa was talking about being anchored in the word the word of God is powerful sharper than any two-edged sword all scriptures inspired I've got to anchor deep I've got to keep that sword sharp every day I was pondering Mark chapter 15 and this was a, a trip as I thought about this whole context stuff Standing strong in Christ and not caving to peer pressure. But Mark chapter 15, verses 8, 11, and 15, I'm sitting there pondering this going, this, this is right on as we think about this whole thing of caving in and giving in. L- listen to this. Verse 8, the crowd, you got a Bible, circle that. The crowd went to Pilate and asked him to release a prisoner as usual. The crowd at this point, the leading priest motivated the crowd with anger to demand the release of Barabbas and not Jesus. Verse 15. So to pacify the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He ordered Jesus to be flogged, turned him over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. The crowd, the crowd, the crowd. And if we're not careful, we want to fit in with the crowd. And if we're not careful we get influenced too much by the crowd and if we don't pay attention to every choice and decision and step we make the crowd has got a message and a narrative they want to share with you but I was looking at verse 8 the crowd does not always seek what is right the crowd don't always seek what is right You hear people say in our generation, majority rules. It might rule, but it doesn't mean they're right. Just because the majority has spoken doesn't mean they're standing on truth. And we've got to be able to discern and listen and say, oh, hold on, is that true? Is that honoring God? Or is that just the noise of the crowd? So many people get picked off at times because. They don't have a strong foundation in Christ, the crowd. Verse 11, the crowd will not always listen to the right people. Do you hear that? The crowd does not always listen to the right people. People in a position of power is not always right. And I don't care if it's in the White House, the schoolhouse, the churchhouse, The outhouse, whatever house you want to go to, just because you've got power don't mean that you're right. What does God say? What does the scripture say? What does truth say? I don't care what CNN says. Carnal News Network. I'm sorry, Communist News Network. I don't care what they have to say. Just because they've got people out there and they rally opinions together, I'm not going to listen to that. Is there truth? Has God spoken? I'm about to get fired up thinking about this topic today. I'm serious though, because I've seen so many people cave in and get their lunch handed to them because they're not strong in the Lord and in the power of Christ and they get out into the world and they get carved up. And we've got to get strong now. We've got to anchor deep now. I'm like, reality is peer pressure. I wrote three things down. Peer pressure is experienced by everyone, everyone. Living in community, having accountability, pulling for each other. Proverbs thirteen twenty says, walk with the wise. And become wise. Associate with fools and get into all kinds of trouble. Who's going to experience it? All of us. All of us. Am I walking with the wise? Or am I walking with fools? Second thought would be this. Peer pressure can be good. Or it can be bad. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says. Bad company corrupts good character. Hebrews chapter 10 says, let us not forsake assembling together with other believers, but let us consider how we can stimulate one another to love and good deeds. So when you see peer pressure, it's not always negative. It's according to who you're hanging out with and where you're hanging out determines whether it can be good or bad. I want to hang out with people that are pursuing Christ. When I got saved, I didn't sever and eliminate all those other relationships. I just started finding people that were walking with Jesus to spend the majority of my time with. I would still see some of my friends, but I would make sure I wasn't at the pub. I would make sure that I was in a safe location. You follow me? So peer pressure can be good at good or bad, but here's what, here, 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 this was crazy meditating on this, you will attract what you are, Amos chapter three, verse three, Amos was an old back roads country preacher when you study Amos, he was a prophetic voice, he was crying out for people to get right with God, but listen what Amos said, can two people walk together without agreeing on the destination, well, what are you saying? you're going to find people that are going in the direction you want to go in. You will attract what you are. You will find what you're looking for. So if you're wanting to raise hell and party, you will find that group. If you're wanting to get serious about your walk, it might be a narrow road, but you will find what you're looking for. And so the question really is, has to be posed, what am I genuinely looking for? Who am I hanging out with? Do I have a chance to establish deeper root system and anchor system and foundation with the way I'm doing life right now? Your story matters. There's godly people in this church that would love to walk with you. The guy that got baptized last Sunday been sending them studies every day dialogue in every day welcome to the family what does that mean we've got studies we would love to share with you people want to walk with you but you can't hide you can't lie you can't fragment your disclosure and get healthy i've got studies on brand new believer stuff on salvation assurance worship the scripture obeying god accountability what is all we have stuff we would love to help you Be discipled, but you've got to want it. Which direction is your life going today? Have you really repented and surrendered? Now, let me close you with these thoughts as we move into a time of prayer and a time of communion. And Nick and these guys, man, this is going to be a good time just to to worship and to pray together and to have communion. But here would be my close. Have you surrendered to Jesus? Have you yielded to the Lordship of Christ? Have you really repented and confessed Christ only as Savior and Master and Ruler and Authority? I'm not talking about playing games. I'm talking about surrender. The second thing would be this. Have you established spiritual goals that you're staying focused on? I've got to have goals every day. I've got to have all four tires Jamie and I talk, I've got to have all four tires in sync. I've got to make sure spiritually, mentally, physically, and emotionally, I'm not out of balance. I want all four tires to be strong. Do you have a spiritual growth plan? I know being in ministry that we do a lot of counseling. So part of my spiritual growth plan is reading things in that vein, like Larry Crabb, Jeff Van Vondren, Dan Allender. So I read resources I know that will help me as I counsel with people. I know that we're living in a postmodern culture. I know that this culture says there's no moral absolutes and truth is at best subjective. So I read and listen to Robbie Zacharias. I read and listen to Josh McDowell, Lee Strobel, others that are contending for the faith in our generation. I've got to have a spiritual growth plan. I've got to keep growing every day. I'm married, I need to be paying attention to what biblical marriage looks like every day. I'm a parent, I need to be paying attention to what it looks like every day. I'm called to steward God's resources. I need to be paying attention to what that looks like every day. So you've gotta have a spiritual growth plan and game plan and stay focused on it. Are you intentional about choosing friends that have Christ-centered values and beliefs? Your closest circle. Who do you hang out with? Do you pick those relationships carefully? And then the last thing I would say as I close is don't compare yourself to other people. You'll never be content. You'll never be content if you're constantly comparing yourself to other people. And so I encourage you today as you think about even listening to these girls share their story and I'm so proud of them. I'm like how courageous for a 15-year-old girl to get up here and share. I'm like, Taylor, that's phenomenal. So proud of you. She spent the night with Hannah a couple years ago. And uh, it was New Year's Eve. We celebrated the peach dropping or whatever. And we prayed. And uh, the girls were getting to go to sleep that night. And Taylor and her little sister, Madison, were there. And I was like, Just met you a few months ago. You've been hanging here. What's been the highlight of your year? She said, my mom and the girls started coming to church, and then dad has started coming. But she said, when my mom started bringing us to church and I gave my life to Christ and how this church has loved on me, she goes, that's the highlight of my year. And I went back in the bedroom, crawling in bed to go to sleep. And I'm like, Barb. It made me cry. God's changing this little girl's life. Her life's been radically changed. Now she's gone on mission trips. She serves. And I'm like, is that why you do what you do? No, I do what I do because I love Jesus and he died for me. And if nobody responded, I'd still do it. But I'll tell you what, that fires me up when I see a life like that changed. It makes me want to stay with it. It's not why I do it, but it makes me want to stay with it. And to see how Madison serves, and Alyssa coming in here with the Espositos with YWAM and seeing how this girl serves, I'm like, I want to go all in. I want to be the kind of man and the kind of leader that these girls can lean into to say, hey, hey, coach me up in this area, I trust you. Is that what you want?